The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and let's say we're in Jamaica. I was not too terribly long ago, and I remember I was sitting in a cab, and I saw a sign. I saw a billboard on the street. And it was advertising cock soup. Really, cock soup. I found myself thinking as I passed it, there is no way that the mother in that picture is giving her child penises floating in broth. There's just no way. And so then I had to think to myself, oh, wait a minute, wait, different English. And so I guess in Jamaica and probably other places, cock still can mean chicken. And so it's chicken soup, cock soup, chicken soup. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, isn't there something like in Scotland that's soup called cockaliki? Once again, that couldn't be penises leaking. It's chicken and leeks, which actually looks pretty good. I think I'm going to try that. But cockaliki, so chicken and leeks. And you know, I have been thinking about that little cab in Kingston episode lately because, to be honest, we are at a point where I need to start thinking more about such things because I have a book coming out about profanity. It actually comes out on May 3rd. And, you know, quite honestly, I'd like you all to consider reading it because I wrote it and I want to share it. And you write books in order that people might buy them. And, you know, I would be an idiot not to do just one episode about profanity as a lead-in to the release of Nine Nasty Words, English in the Gutter, Then, Now, and Forever. And so, just this episode, I want to zero in on a little bit of this sort of thing to give you a sense of what the book is going to be about and how it's going to approach the subject. But I have to warn you, talk about language. This is a show where I am not going to be able to avoid saying certain naughty words. And I'm going to try not to overdo it. But folks, this is one where, you know, if you're listening with your kids, you might want to either prepare to put your hands over their ears occasionally or just, you know, explain to them some things. This is one where it's going to be a little old school McWhorter Lexicon Valley. I've got to use the words and I've decided to use the ones that are relatively benign, but still, we're going to have to use some words. So just letting you know. What I want is to give you a sense of what a book about profanity might be for, or at least one that I write, because it's not about why we curse. You know, that's a question that comes very naturally if you, you know, want to start an interview about a book like this, for example. But would you really want to read a book about, you know, why we curse that runs 225 pages? We, we know why we curse, or if we don't, that's maybe two pages. It's not about the why, it's why those words and how did they get that way. That, to me, is the fun part. And so you look at these words that we use that have this certain flavor, that have taken on this certain flavor, whereas they often don't have it in other languages. But here in English, there are certain words with a certain redolence. Well, how did that happen? What's the history of the word? And, of course, what lessons might it teach us about how language works in general? And so, for example, cock is a very interesting word in all of its facets. But, of course, in terms of profanity... What I'm referring to is its usage to refer to the male organ. And so, how did that start? Cock starts as a Scandinavian word. 
many, many Viking words made their way into our language. And you can imagine, especially considering that most of the Vikings who came over were men and they married English-speaking women, well, you know, some of the words were going to be words for certain things. And one of them was a word pillacock. Pillacock. That's how our word cock begins, pillacock. And it wasn't a cock that's pilly or something like that. The word was really pilla, and then the cock was just some little bit at the end. It was kind of like hamburger. Hamburger starts as Hamburg, the city, and then you have Hamburg steak or hamburger steak. So hamburger steak. But if you say hamburger a lot, and you don't really know or care much about Hamburg, after a while, you might think, because the hamburger is meat, that, well, it's a burger made out of ham. Because even if hamburger meat doesn't seem much like ham, you figure, well, maybe ham used to be different or something. And you're not really thinking about it. These things are happening in the recesses of our mind. And so next thing you know, hamburger becomes a burger, and you think that anything shaped like that is a burger. And next thing you know, you have veggie burgers, etc. So, Burger kind of comes off as a new word. Pillicock was like that. So in Scandinavian, pillicock was kind of like what would be in English like a pillikins, where really it's a pilla and then the kins is just some little deer thing that you stick at the end. But the way we heard it in English was pillicock could be shortened to just cock. And so you go from pillicock to cock. Now you might think that that sounds a little labored. You might wonder why we can't just say that it came from, for example, cock as a chicken. But for one thing, why exactly? You could say that there's some sort of likeness between a penis, and you know, depending on the state that it's in, and uh, a chicken walking around. But a little force, even if it's a rooster. Like, why Why that? And more to the point, pillicock is earlier. You can see it very clearly. Long before anybody is calling penises cocks, it's pillicock. As a matter of fact, Way back in the 1200s, you have two things going on. In an earlier show that I did about F-U-C-K, I mentioned that there were people walking around before words like this were considered profane as opposed to just kind of funny. There were people with fuck in their name. There was actually a person named Henry Fuck by the Naval. And that wasn't something that was only used on stage or something like that. That was his name used in documents. There were also people named Fuck Butter. That's just the way it went. Well, in the same way, in the 1200s on the records, there's a guy whose name was Johanna Pillicock. I mean, that's basically like somebody today named John Dick, Johanna Pillicock. That's what his name was. Not Johanna Cock, Johanna Pillicock. And it's clear what that meant. And that was thought of as funny. And, you know, Pillicock still exists in British English. They have a word pillock. And from my reading, it means roughly any kind of jerk or goofy or nidotiopa or dickhead, something like that. So pillock. So it actually never quite died. But pillicock becomes cock. And so that's the beginning of the story. Now then, starting in about the 1400s, English profanity has an interesting evolution. It used to be that what was profane in English was swearing to God and to Jesus. If you were going to swear to God or if you were going to swear to Jesus, you were supposed to do it sincerely. You were supposed to mean it. To do it just because you stubbed your toe or to do it just because somebody was bothering you, that was swearing in vain. That's where we get the idea that to curse is to swear. Swearing in vain was considered a problem, and that was profanity. So, oh my God, if you didn't mean it properly, that 
was your profanity. That ends up changing starting in the 1400s. You still have that, but you have a new domain of what's considered profane, and that is things having to do with the body and sex. This happens partly because of the Reformation and the focus people started to have on the individual, on privacy. It's partly architecture. There were rooms for individual people evermore, depending on what class you belong to after this time. And in general, this focus on individuality and privacy, private faith, for example, the issue of the flesh being dirty, a new particular focus upon that. All of this meant that Things having to do with sex and excretion became not just kind of funny, so that you might have a slangy name like Henry Fuck by the Naval or Johanna Pillacock, but profane. You're not supposed to say these things. And so, cock is now not just salty, but it's wrong. It doesn't smell good. And next thing you know, words start to move away from it. It's kind of like cock is an embezzler or Bernie Madoff or something, and people don't want to be associated with it. And so, for example, a rooster used to be called a roost cock. A roost cock. People started calling it a rooster, which is kind of an odd thing to call it. It becomes a rooster because roost cock started to feel a little dirty. Or Bronson Alcott or we would say Bronson Alcott. And that is the father of Louisa May Alcott, as we say in America, who wrote Little Women. You know, I've never read Little Women. I saw the old American movie, despised it. I have a Katherine Hepburn problem. And so I've never even gotten to the book. I've got to change that. It's, it's shameful. Joe, Meg, mommy, I need to know more. Anyway, so Louisa May Alcott, well, she had a father who was quite the prominent person, one of these incredible polymaths. And Bronson Alcott's family used to actually have the name Alcock. Their name was Alcock, or in some renditions, Alcox. They changed it to Alcott because it became awkward to be called, you know, Bronson Alcock. And so what that meant was that cock became a dirty word, and it kept changing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Today, if you think about it, and you have to think about it, but if you think about it, cock is a little archaic as a kind of default word for what we're talking about. Really, it's dick that we use in this function. Cock now, if you think about it, is kind of porny. It's something that's used mostly when you're talking about sex, mostly in a certain kind of literature or a certain kind of dialogue. And that's happened rather recently. And so, for example, Kurt Vonnegut has a passage in his novel, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, where a kind of patrician, older white guy says, drop your cocks and grab your socks. So drop your cocks and grab your socks. I'm not going to talk about the context, but it wasn't pornographic. And he's using cocks in the way that today, frankly, we would say, well, you know, actually, instead of me saying it, I'm going to let Broadway say it. This is Avenue Q, the wonderful puppet musical. And listen to the Cookie Monster stand in and how he feels about what the Internet is really for. The Internet is for porn. Gross. The Internet is for porn. I hate 
grab your dick and double click for porn. Porn, porn, porn. I hate men. Porn, I'm porn, leaving. Porn, I hate porn, the internet. Porn. The internet is for internet is for internet is for porn. So see, that could have been drop your cocks and grab your sock, but it isn't. And that's because it's modern. And so cock has gone from pillowcock to cock to a reference to the, if I may, penis that is used in a very specific context because Dick has edged it aside. But there's a little bit more about cock. You never know what you're going to get out of these words. You know, you start with some little four-letter word and it turns out that there are all these interesting little nuggets. Did you know that cock can also refer to a vagina? This is something that I did not know until I started researching for this book. Although then I asked some people, including my own relatives, who said that that was something that they grew up with, including one of them who is my age. But one from the generation before said that when he came up from the South, he had to learn in the North that people only meant the male member when they used cock. But there were people until not very long ago. And, you know, for all I know, there may still be. But definitely until not very long ago, there were people who could use cock to mean either the male or the female part. And to give you a sense of this, I want to play something. This is really strong stuff now. You, I, I warn you, if you don't want to hear somebody really, really nailing it here, then just skip ahead a little bit. This is a blues singer named Lucille Bogan. We're listening to somebody singing in 1935. This is 86 years ago, and she is as explicit as anybody could be now. It's hard to believe that this is a genuine recording, but it is. So I'm going to just play you a little bit where what she is doing is using the word cock in a way that clearly does not refer to anything male. It is female. So hold on to your hats and listen to a little of this. My back is made of whalebone, and my cock is made of brass, and my fucking is made for working men two dollars, red garden round to kiss my ass. Oh, daddy, <laughs> so, in any case, oh, by the way, that probably was intended only as a party recording. That was not released commercially. But thank God, in a way, it exists. It shows you that people were as human as we are a very, very long time ago. In any case, then there's also that cock has been you know, moved aside by dick. And you might wonder why that word. You know, dick is the nickname for Richard. Why, Richard? What's Richard about a penis? And the thing is, there is a general tendency to refer to that thing with names. There's something anthropomorphic about it. I think we can kind of understand why with a certain liveliness and the shape of it, etc. And so there are people who call it a John Thomas, and then there's the Willie, and some people call it a Peter, etc. But for some reason, probably randomness, you have to leave room for randomness in all accounts of language change. Richard, as in Dick, is the one that settled in. This was gradual. It wasn't all of a sudden. If you look at earlier English, you find that originally the slang usage of dick was just as fella. Dick meant guy. So, for example, there are things in Shakespeare that you have to play with a little bit if you don't want to get 
unintentional laugh. So in Two Gentlemen of Verona, somebody makes a reference to a dick that smiles and knows the trick to make my lady laugh. It's not about a grinning penis. Dick just means fella, kind of a guy walking around, kind of a a motherfucker. That's what dick meant. And you start getting an evolution from that to the penis reference gradually. And as always with these things, it starts with ambiguous examples where you could read it either way, and then pretty soon it's very clear what they mean. For example... There is a reference in 1654, which you can think of as possibly the first attestation of the dick that we know, but it's hard to say. It's a woman who says, you can lie like a log by me all night, and when your eyes turn your backside towards me as though I should kiss that, out, thou unnatural knave, thou, thou feeble dick, thou. Now, Feeble dick could mean that you're a feeble fellow, but given what she's talking about, you can't help thinking that maybe she's talking about the feebleness of the thing that she is not getting to experience the way maybe she was wanting to. Then there's even a a closer example. There's a book called Wit and Mirth in 1691. And the funny thing is that some of the things in it are actually funny because you assume that because it's 1691, it's not going to be funny because people that long ago didn't have what we consider a sense of humor. But they did. And so at one point, there's this little passage where somebody says, who had not rather kissed the breeches of 20 women than to lick the bristles of one male dear dick? Okay. Now, the dear dick might be a fellow, but given the topography of all of this, weren't they kind of... And so, these are early examples. But it's funny, in terms of ones that aren't ambiguous at all, you have to go all the way up to the end of the 19th century, which is just suspicious, but still. And what it is, for the record, it's 1888, so Benjamin Harrison is president And you have this little anecdote in the book where somebody just says, turning her fairly around and putting his dick where his finger was. That's the first time. But really, I get the feeling we are seeing the beginnings of this meaning long before Benjamin Harrison. Also, let's face it, there are female parts and there are names for them. And it's interesting. Not very long ago, I noticed that my six-year-old has a very approximate sense of what the vagina is. We were talking about something, and those of you with kids know the sorts of things you wind up talking about, and it became clear to me that Vanessa thinks, she's going to listen to this in the future and hate me for it, Vanessa thinks that vagina is the anus as well as the other things. She doesn't quite, quite know. And I thought, of that that's cute, because that means that she's kind of Dutch. The reason that I was thinking that is because there is a really hideous word for the vagina that begins with a C, the the four-letter word, and I'm not going to talk about it too much. But the interesting thing, although it's in the book, but I'm not going to talk about it. It just doesn't work with me sitting here talking. But there is a Dutch cognate of that word, and they use that word kont as but. They're like Vanessa. It's moved backwards for some reason. And that can be either a male butt or a female butt. So you never know what's going to happen in language change. (laughs) Language changes all the time. And then as far as the whole cat issue, there's that other word for that. That comes in slowly and it starts with these cute double entendres. And actually, this wit and mirth (laughs) book is useful. Again, there's this poem 
there's a man of, of a certain age and he marries a teenaged girl and there's a certain something that he's not really quite up to. And so she finds herself a younger guy who is up to it. And the job is described <laughs> as he took it to stroke it and close in his lap, he laid it to feed it and gave it some pap. And it goes on and on like this. And the thing is, what they're referring to is something that is <laughs> called a pussy, P-U-S-S-E-Y. And we're supposed to think it's a cat, but it's obvious what they're doing here. And so you could see that that meaning was coming in. And you know, it's interesting how these things go in that the sociological place of a word can differ between dialects in a language. And so the Brits are not as uptight about this word I'm referring to as we are in America. And a lot of you are thinking that in Britain, if we Americans are over there, we have to get used to the use of the C-U-N-T word in a very casual way, because for us, it's just poison. Whereas there, it can be quite casual and jolly. Well, that's also true of, if I may, pussy, because listen to this song. This is 1931. It's all about double entendre, but still nobody could record a song like this for commercial release in America in 1931. Now, Lucille Bogan, that's one thing, but that was just meant for people to drink to and listen to in private. This was something that was actually in record shops, and actually Ken Teutsch is the person who put me onto this song. I actually hadn't heard it, but listen to this. There's one pet I like to pet, and every evening we get set. I stroke it every chance I get. It's my girl's pussy. Seldom plays and never purrs, and I love the thoughts it stirs. But I don't mind because it's hers, my girl's pussy. Often it goes out at night, returns at break of dawn. No matter what the weather's like, it's always nice and warm. It's never dirty, always clean, in giving thrills, never mean. But it's the best I've ever seen, is my girl's pussy. <laughs> After a while, you're thinking, okay, I get it. But yes, and so that's something that can happen over there. This is the time when I have to suggest that you go to slate.com slash lexicon plus to sign up for Slate Plus. And what that is, is that you get extra stuff and no ads. Yes, you have to pay for it. It's a nominal fee, though, and it means that for all of Slate's podcasts, you get a little tag at the end where you get more information, more fun, more something, and you don't have to listen to any ads. It's really a good deal, and especially these days, we have a special offer where you only have to pay a dollar for the first month, and you get whole extra episodes of Slow Burn and Darling Dear Prudence. Slate Plus is a really good deal. It helps Slate out at a time when the media have taken the same hit that all of us have because of you-know-what. And it's this kind of thing, for example. There's a certain word that is profane, very dangerous, very hurtful, that once meant a bundle of sticks. Most of you will know what I mean. It's a slur. And if anything is generally known about it, it's that of all things, it used to mean a bundle of sticks. Well, you know, there are things about the history of that word that you'll only likely hear, and in one case, ever hear, because only I know it, if you get Slate Plus and listen to the tag for this episode. So there you go. Talk about how the Brits have one way of processing these things and we have another. Here, we have an ass fetish that they have had less. 
There's something about the word ass in American English. And of course, it ends up spreading throughout the world to other Englishes, but it starts here. And to give you a sense of what I mean about the contrast, this is from an episode of Faulty Towers, the wonderful sitcom. The great thing is that there you only have to do six episodes a season, you know, these series, just six. And with Faulty Towers, there were only 12. They didn't have to do 225 and run it into the ground. And so you get these 12 absolutely perfect episodes back in the 70s. So this is John Cleese, and the episode has an American. And the American is angry because of the shitty service at Faulty Towers. And listen to <laughs> this exchange where Basil Faulty doesn't quite understand what this usage of ass is that the American uses. <laughs> Man, you've got to tell him, lay it on the line. Lay it on the line. Tell him if he doesn't get on the ball, you're going to bust his ass. Busties? I'll tell no, 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 I'll tell you. Tell you. Leave it to me. I've got it. 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 Busties? Ass! All that! And uh, two green salads. Here we are. Two green salads. Basil. Mr. Mr. Hamilton has his Wardorf salad, dear. No, dear. Chef couldn't make it. He didn't have the ingredients. I just uh, smashed his backside about it. <laughs> Everything's bottoms, isn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> so everything's bottoms. You know, to Basil, that's weird. Now, I don't think that people in Britain were this unfamiliar with the usage. Part of it is that he's so uptight. But still, it shows that there's a certain thing about ass in America. Notice, by the way, that that guy does a pretty crummy American accent. And you see that often in British popular culture until... A certain time. Back then, you just know that if somebody has an American cousin or there's an American guest that for some reason they seem to think that all Americans talk like John Wayne and everybody kind of growls like that's the American. But now you notice that British people and Australians do us perfectly. They do us better than we do it. And that must be because of cable and home video where you can just grow up bathed in it. But back then, that very good actor, I mean, he's great in himself. Well, my wife, Wyland. <laughs> it's very strange. That shows how old that show is. But in any case, there's this ass thing. And here's something that you might expect from me. Ass becomes grammar. Of all things, it's not just about buttocks. It actually becomes a bit of grammar. And so what do I mean by that? Ass is a pronoun in English, of all things. Let's try, I'm going to fire his ass. You can say, I'm going to fire him. Or you could say, I'm going to fire his ass. Now, if you say, I'm going to fire his ass, you don't mean that you're going to dismiss his buttocks, but keep the rest of him on the job. You mean him. But you're using his ass as a stand-in for all of him as a marker of disrespect of him. Or, he beat my ass up. You're disrespecting yourself in saying that. You wish that the person hadn't got the best of you. That usage is no longer about buttocks. It's just a pronoun. The difference between I'm going to fire him and I'm going to fire his ass is not about assness. It's just about respect. I'm going to fire him. And that takes care of that. I'm going to fire his ass. You don't even put the accent on ass. You don't say, I'm going to fire his ass. You say, I'm going to fire his ass. It's just a pronoun. So think about it. I saw him. I saw her. I saw it. I saw his ass. I saw her ass. And then notice with I saw it, it's not I saw its ass. But there's another vulgar pronoun we use there. That shit. I saw that shit. When you say that, you don't say, I saw that shit. I saw that pile of feces. You don't say that. You say, I saw that shit. That shit. 
is a pronoun. Shit is a word. That shit is a pronoun. I saw him. I saw her. I saw it. I saw his ass. I saw her ass. I saw that shit. And so not only ass, but shit has become part of a pronoun. Or try this. I saw you. I saw your ass. So there's neutral and vulgar. Then there's this one. You have to watch yourself. You have to watch your shit. I once heard two people, there were these two guys toddling along. It was about two in the morning. Don't ask why I was out at two in the morning. One of them was clearly very much in his cups, and the other one said, watch your shit, dude. And he didn't mean think about what's in your intestines. He meant don't stumble as we come up on this curb. And so yourself, your shit. This is how these things actually work, where profanity has become bits of grammar. Another example. Ass can mean very, except it's not as ass, but it's as butt. And what I mean by that is notice that you can say butt naked. You can also say butt cold. You can say butt ugly. How in the world does buttocks come to mean very? And it actually starts as buck, buck naked. And what that meant was that you're naked as a buck. And unfortunately, that referred to one, slaves, and two, Native Americans. The idea being that these bucks were somehow less than human compared to whites. So you're naked as a buck because these are people who are associated, for example, with labor, often unpaid. So you're buck naked. Well, it's easy to think, especially in an oral culture, that buck might be butt. Because if you're naked, one thing that stands out that you wouldn't ordinarily see if a person's dressed is the butt. So you go from buck naked to butt naked. And that means you're very naked, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's kind of like being very pregnant, but very naked is in not even a fig leaf or you know, not even a loincloth or something like that. You're butt naked. But that means if you're very naked, then you can be very other things. And so butt cold, especially if, frankly, if you are cold, one place that you feel it is your butt. And so, boy, it's cold out here. It is butt cold. And then after a while, if somebody can be unfortunately called ugly as a butt, and that's something that's been heard ugly as a horse's butt, I've heard, well, then that person is butt ugly. And that means that they are especially unpleasant to look at. Take all of those expressions, your butt naked, your butt cold, your butt ugly, but means very. Of all things, you never know what a word is going to do. And so there's this word that refers to buttocks. Any language has a word for it. In English, wouldn't you know, everything's bottoms, and that word or variations of it can end up being pronouns, just ordinary pronouns that really, if you did a fair representation of what English is, you'd have to put them in a table. That's the way it is in my book, actually. And then it ends up being an intensifier, butt ugly, butt cold, butt hot, I've heard people say, because you can say butt cold. Language change is always interesting in that way. We need to talk a little bit about asshole. And the reason we have to talk about that is because that is a word that has evolved into its current meaning only over about the past 50 years. Asshole starts out as being just a jolly insult where you're comparing somebody to an anus. But today, if you think about it, an asshole isn't just a jackass. That's not what it means. The asshole is somebody who pulls in front of you in their car. The asshole is somebody who transgresses knowing that they could have done better. It's a very specific meaning. The late, great Jeff Nunberg had a whole book about this where he laid this out, and I learned quite a bit asshole is transgression. But that meaning came over time. And at first, 
asshole just meant fool. And you can hear it not in some old cartoon or something like that. You can hear it in The Deer Hunter. So in The Deer Hunter, you've got, for example, Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken having a conversation. These are guys speaking colloquial American English in what's supposed to be the early 70s. And it's accurate in this way. And listen to them and their use of asshole. I like the trees, you know? I like the way that the trees are on the mountains, all different. The way the trees are. Sound like some asshole, huh? I tell you, Nick, you're the only guy I go hunting with, you know? I like a guy with quick moves of speed. I ain't gonna hunt with no assholes. Well, who's an asshole? Who's an asshole? Who do you think's an asshole? I mean, I love them. They're great guys, but, you know, without you, I hunt alone. Seriously, that's what I do. Notice that what they mean is not somebody who's going to like shoot the deer in front of you when you were the one who first saw it or something. They just mean somebody who's weak, who's not solid, who's just kind of like Anita Tiopa, kind of like that Russian word from the last episode. That's what they mean by asshole. If you hear them as using asshole in our way, you're being a little bit presentist because even in that modern movie, it's in color with actors who are still alive. Asshole in the early 70s hadn't settled in as much in the transgressor meaning as it would in the late 70s and beyond. Interesting to hear those things. So specifically, asshole as transgressor has come in and replaced son of a bitch. That's language change. So we all know what son of a bitch is and how to use it. But have you ever noticed that especially if you're under a certain age, it's a little little archaic. You know, I use it sometimes, but asshole is more what it would be. It used to be that that transgressor meaning was son of a bitch. So, for example, John Ford, the film director, yes, great artist, but he was an asshole. I mean, you read about him and you can see that he quite simply was an asshole. He treated people really badly, especially men on his sets, because he knew he could get away with it. Yet, that's not what anybody called him. And so, for example, there was a stuntman. His name was Gil Perkins, and he was on um, a Ford set. It was The Informer in 1935. Ford did something crummy to him. And Perkins, this stuntman, said to him, for such a big shot, you're an inconsiderate son of a bitch. That's what he said. Now, notice that that's kind of archaic, because suppose somebody did something mean to Brad Pitt or Owen Wilson on a set. Can you imagine them saying, yo, you're a son of a bitch? No, they'd say, why do you have to be such an asshole? That's what they would say. That's my imitation of, like, Owen Pitt. Hey, you're a son of a bitch. They'd be in a movie about the old days. They would say, hey, he's an asshole. That's because asshole has replaced son of a bitch. It's a kind of language change. So that is a preview of how nine nasty words is going to work. I want to take those words, it's really about 12 words, and just give a history. How did they get to be the way they are? What do they really mean? And why have they come to mean that? And what does it tell us about how language works? And by the way, this has nothing to do with anything in nine nasty words, but I want to correct something. I'm getting more and more confident about my Mandarin, and of course that means that I'm going to make little flubs. And James Hu has let me know that when I told you, well, zola, means I walked. No, no. Well, if somebody says that, they mean I left, not I walked. And I knew that, but I didn't know that. And I recorded it too quickly and didn't check myself. So thank you, James Hu. And I'm sure many Chinese speakers have noticed that on that, I was somewhat inaccurate. 
you know, let's go out on something beautiful, given that we have all this dirty stuff. This is from, of all things, the soundtrack to Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing, which is remembered for all sorts of things, but not enough, I've always thought, for the truly beautiful music that Spike Lee's father wrote for it. I still have the CD, and I took a listen to it the other night, and I swelled to it just as I did back in the 90s. This is Mookie Comes Home. This is the first cut on it. And just listen to these gorgeous strings. This is a really nice soundtrack that I recommend to people. Really beautiful music. There are all sorts of great things about Do the Right Thing. One of them, which was easy to miss, was the gorgeous soundtrack music such as this. In any case, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. You know, I got the girls guinea pigs for the pandemic, and I hate to admit that I look at them and I think that they look like they taste good. And I have just learned that apparently they taste like chicken thighs. I can't help I will not eat these two, but still you do wonder. Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I am John McWhorter.